0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Thanks for checking into the best Houston Sports podcast. And back with me is one of my favorite Rockets experts, Cooper Klein, who hosts the NBA drop podcast Upside Swings and contributes to Rockets Chop Shop on YouTube. Good to see you again. And Cooper, we've got positives and negatives to hit in this one. So it's going to be a roller coaster ride, sort of like the season so far.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of, of roller coaster pods. We get to hit on you know the things that we've enjoyed and uh, what we'd like to see changed. It feels a little bit nitpicky after how last year went and how this year's going so far. I think have we passed last year's win total this season? If we haven't, then we're pretty close. Yeah, already. Uh, that's more the point. We are destroying expectations, playing much better. Feels weird to nitpick, but uh, there are some things that need to be nitpicked, and and we'll get into that here. Here in a little bit.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, I think if, if they haven't passed it, I know it's real close. I remember them talking about that the other day. And I'm gonna start with just a huge positive. You did a ton of homework, I know, on Cam Whitmore, and Aman Thompson for the draft and my open with Amin. He's getting more and more run, already looks as good as Dylan as an on-ball defender. We saw the off-ball game when we when he had that game-saving block against Utah, just an incredible play. He's grabbing nine rebounds per 36. How does he compare from what you've seen so far with the Rockets to what you anticipated pre-draft.
2: So he doesn't look as explosive athletically, but I think a lot of that can be, uh, you know, sort of attributed to the injury he had and his role. I think they're really keying in on him playing with pace and reading the floor as an NBA player and not just like playing completely out of control at all times. Everything is very set and they're really working on his pace. You do kind of lose the transition play, but that's kind of been a theme with the team this year is just lack of transition buckets, lack of easy offense opportunities. But when he's gotten out in transition, he's looked really good. He's looked quick. His ground coverage is still incredible. He is so quick as a stop start athlete. Uh, He can just explode into like the tiniest holes. He's really good at contorting his body. That was something he was always really good at pre-draft. And he's still been really good on both ends at getting up in the air, you know, contorting for layups at going around a screen, fighting around a guy and fitting right through the tiny little gap between the screener and the ball handler. So you still see the athleticism you just don't see it in the same sort of poppy explosive way that you see with azar right now and i think that's mostly injury but also role and you know team context defensively he's been almost better than i thought he would be at overtime elite like obviously you see the makings of an elite off-ball defender he's so athletic he covers so much ground but his point of attack defense was so focused on oh i'm going to create as much havoc as possible i'm going to sell out for every single steal i'm going to bully these ball handlers but he's looked so sound like technically at the point of attack he his footwork is perfect he uses his hands really well he doesn't foul a ton his hand eye coordination really stands out i think that's something really for young defenders that you want to see he gets his hands into like the, into the honey pot without fouling without slapping somebody's arm and he does a lot of the little stuff that doesn't fully get you know shown on the stat sheet and it, it's been really really nice i don't think i've seen him mess up a rotation like this in the entire season He's just been so technically sound and compared to like a lot of the concerns of, oh, is he just like, does he gamble too much? Is he trying, you know, too hard to create steals all the time? Those kind of concerns pre-draft, he's really like shown out and kind of blown those out of the water. Uh, Offensively, he's been a bit more limited. I think that can be attributed to roll, but also just the handle. He looks less confident than I thought he would be coming in, but the cutting's been great. The shot's been better than I thought it would be this early. He looks really confident and comfortable getting into a shot, even if the form isn't super perfect as long as he looks comfortable and he's confident taking them. I think that's really what matters more than anything. He's willing to work on edit. He's willing to take them in game and he's really shown out. I've been really, really impressed with him. And I I really just want him to get more run (laughs) uh, with this team.
1: Yeah. And did you really feel like he could be an elite point guard with the handle and with the limit that he had in shooting? Because that's my concern is I feel like, okay, he can be elite, because of his defense and his passing ability, but he's got to be able to compensate for the ball handling, which that can be improved on. I don't think he's that far off on the ball handling, but the shooting is obviously something that has got to change. And I look at somebody like a Ben Simmons, which is kind of more closely to who he resembles right now than Russell Westbrook, which is another guy that you would think, okay, he's not the best shot, but as bad as Russell's shot is, it's still better than Ahmed Thompson is at this point. And Russell had that ability that if you were going to play off of him, he had the quickness and the aggressiveness to somehow find his way to the rim and and still, you know, get around the basket that we haven't seen from Amen so far.
2: I think the handle will develop. I think that's the one thing, like the shot, uh, the numbers suck. Like the eye test also sucks. At least he's comfortable. But with the handle, I think a lot of that is just figuring out what pace he needs to play at and getting into the right kinds of sets. They haven't been particularly creative with how he's been used. He hasn't played much with, the only good screener on the team in Alper and and that's the easiest way to get him going downhill but as soon as he gets going downhill and he gets a half step of separation he's able the handle doesn't look like it bothers him the problem is speeding up right like when he's on the perimeter he can't create it in isolation because he can't hit the moves and then speed up his body against NBA defenders because it's not tight enough in that kind of like change of pace space that'll just be like a body catch a skills catching up to like your body kind of thing that's like it's just going to take reps because you can see his body control his touch, everything else is, a, is like a part of the drive. Once he's gotten going and gotten downhill, he can do the hard part. He just can't do, you know, the the part that comes with time and comes with practice. So I'm not as worried about the handle. Obviously it looks bad now, but there's a lot of good to be seen there despite the negatives that we're seeing already.
1: Right, and you know, it's about looking at the positives at this point and mm-hmm. and it's there and you know, the thing with him that just jumps off the screen is his IQ. and. That's something that's, you know, you're really happy with at this point as a rookie. And on the other side, Cam's been incredible offensively. 47.5% from the field, 40% from three. His last two games were a 24-11 and night versus Charlotte and a 19-9 and versus Brooklyn. His D isn't too bad for a 19-year-old rookie. How does he compare to what you saw pre-draft?
2: The one thing that's really, like, shown out about Cam that I was kind of questionable on was the shot, because if you really dug deep into the numbers, the shot was there. It's obvious, right? This guy can actually shoot the ball. He's really talented. He's really like, he's a good shooter. Um, But you had to like go deep into the synergy numbers, be like, oh, he's a 40 plus percent spot up shooter. He's good at movement. He just takes a lot of threes off the dribble. And that kind of ruined his percentage, like his raw percentage last year. You know, good free throw shooter, all this different stuff. I just don't think that because of the injury, we realized how nuclear of a shooter Cam Whitmore actually is. And if that was, like, an obvious thing pre-draft, there is no way he falls to 20. I think that's kind of just, like, <laughs> the end of the conversation there. Because uh, even before the year started, the whole thing is Cam's, like, 6'5". He kind of plays, like, a power forward because he can't really shoot. He doesn't really pass. He's a weirdo, kind of in-between defender. So he has a lot of, like, weird... Like, before the season started, it, like, the, the college season last year started, it was like, oh, he's kind of weird, kind of goofy, but he's super athletic. But if <laughs> if... If teams realize he's going to be like a 37, 38% shooter off rip and he's shooting like 40% this year, like you said, I think that'll come down a little bit, but like if if he's an above league average shooter as a rookie, barely getting minutes, you know, fighting for playing time on this team, like he would have been pretty easily a top six, seven pick undeniably. Because a lot of the questions about his game and all the other random stuff gets answered by, oh, but he can shoot the piss out of the ball. <laughs> the guy's got drafted higher for being worse shooters than Cam is. The rest of his game is really a work in progress. The defense has been good in ISO. He's athletic. He's strong. If he gets driven on, he'll just bounce guys off of his chest sometimes. His form's not great. His off-ball defense has been about as hit or miss as you can you know, find There's moments kind of like pre-draft where he'll make this really cool rotation and he'll fly all the way across the court and like contest a shot. He has no business contesting. Then there's other times where he just doesn't really see anything and he's like too locked in on the ball to even make a rotation. Uh, That'll come with time. And you see the flashes, you see the ground coverage, just the vertical explosion paired with his, you know, physical strength is such an asset for a defender. He can be a step or two late defensively and still contest a shot or still get a dig in. And still do all this stuff so it's it's really just a matter of getting the principles instilled in him and finding a role that really works for him because his athletic profile allows him to guard twos guard threes guard fours and play those different off-ball positions as well he can guard up a lineup i think once his footwork is fixed he can guard you know bigger point guards even he's not a great screen navigator because he's so bulky so maybe you don't want to do that full time but if you can stick him on a 6-6 six, six point guard or a 6-4 point guard and survive then you can just the more potential versatility a guy like Cam has defensively, the better. Because I don't think the passing's ever going to be great. He just does not look to pass the ball. I, I think that's fine because his role offensively is just play finisher, cut, drive really hard, and shoot the ball whenever you get an open shot. Just do that for now. But if he wants to hit his star end outcomes, he has to be able to make some more basic reads and just not have the offense bogged down to this is going to be a Cam shot the second he touches the ball. It works for now. And it's good that it's getting him on the court because it's what this team needs. But if we want to see him be Ant 2.0, he's got to be able to pass the rock a little bit more, got to be a little bit more locked in defensively. But I have loved what I've seen. He's blown my expectations out of the water. Honestly, he's been an elite finisher at the NBA level, an elite shooter at the NBA level, everything you could hope for and more.
1: We haven't seen him in the pick and roll. I I would like to see what he could do with Shangoon. What did you see from him in the pick and roll beforehand? Or did you see much of him doing that at Villanova? So you didn't actually
2: get much. That was, we talked about it in our Cam Whitmore podcast that we did. Villanova kind of sucked because they didn't use Cam enough. Like you have this elite finisher who can power through even the biggest bigs in college basketball and you're not giving him the ball like nearly every time down the floor because you'd rather watch Brandon Slater cook. Like the coaches did not like his game there at Villanova. He got very scapegoated for that season going poorly when he didn't have to come back from injury. He didn't have to do all this stuff. He kind of got the short end of the stick there. And he was definitely played at Villanova as an off-ball wing. He cut a lot. He was just mostly an off-ball player. He would be spotted up in the corner. He'd be cutting. He'd be cutting from the wing, just making athletic plays. Yeah, that's why I haven't
1: given up on his passing is because Mm -hmm. he's been played totally off-ball with the Rockets. He's played off-ball with Villanova. He's so young. He he didn't have a lot of playing time with Villanova as is because of the injury. Hasn't had a lot of playing time with the Rockets because he's been in the G League. And because they, you know, weren't ready for him. To me, it's too young. To, he's too young to just totally dismiss him as a pat. Like in high school, if you're that good, why are you passing? Who are you passing to? You know?
2: <laughs> yeah. Unless, especially if you're not the point guard and he, he would get out in transition. He scored so many easy buckets, both in like FIBA youth play and in high school, because he's the most athletic guy on the floor every single time. It doesn't matter if you have somebody back stopping him from cherry picking. The second a shot goes up, he's leaking out automatic bucket in transition. Why would you want him to pass the ball? I would like to see more scheme stuff like we kind of saw in the G League where he's making more connective type passes consistently, making more reads. We just haven't seen it. We haven't seen anything really other than like one or two cool, flashy passes that he's thrown. I would like to see more. I'd like to see them do more with him, but I've still, the rest of it has been so good. I don't really care that much about how the passing's been. I'm just very optimistic for his play in general.
1: Yeah, those two guys just make me happy watching them out on the court and seeing their progress from game to game now on men's emergence, that's the good and the fun. The bad is the Rockets in general no longer look like a play-in team. Since December the 17th, they're 8-15. The defensive identi- and identity we saw early in the season, that's gone. I'm also increasingly frustrated with Udoka. I want to go through my Udoka gripes, but let's do it this way because I'm sure you have your own, and I'm going to give you a gripe, and then, or I'm going to have a gripe, then you go. We can ping-pong back and forth. Also, feel free to comment on mine. My gripe number one, this team doesn't understand the hot hand. If Shangoon has it going, they get it. But there are too many times I see Jabari hit a couple in a row, Jalen, Cam, all of whom can score in bunches. And the next possession, it'll be a post-up for Dylan or Jeff Green or Van Vleets at a pick and roll and he pops a three. Cooper, I can't blame this on the players, though. When you're halfway through the season, at some point, the coach has got to say, guys, if a guy's hot, I need you to go to him. If not, I'm going to yank you from the game. You know, I don't know. Give me a gripe. What, what do you got?
2: Bye. My my biggest gripe since day one, I've been feeling this way since like even preseason, is Yudoka just has no creativity offensively or defensively? He's very strict within his schemes. Jalen plays a very specific defensive role where he's super low activity, he's not involved at the point of attack. But then you have your two best off-ball disruptors and rotators in Dylan Brooks and and uh, Tari Eason constantly at the point of attack. It reminds me of like the specific the most jarring specific instance was when they stuck Tari on Donovan Mitchell down the stretch of that Cavs game that we it was the second night of a back-to-back and we lost. And he played good defense on him, but is he most valuable there or playing off ball where he can impact every single play, every single possession? Also, like limiting a guy like Amen, who's a, another great off ball defender, to just playing point of attack defense. Or and they try just, to put
1: didn't he try to put like uh, Dylan Brooks on Tyrese Maxi or, or was it Trey Young or somebody like that? Just
2: a, a tiny guard, and it's like, why? What are we doing with our elite wing defender who is like has some of the best hands in the league? He's fine at the point of attack, but that's not what you should be doing, especially when you have a guy like Jalen, whose only defensive strength is he's pretty good at the point of attack. He right. does nothing else defensively. And we have him as the low man. We have him as the wing. Why don't we just have guys doing what they do well defensively? Yeah, uh, and yeah that's my my biggest gripe with, with Yedoga.
1: All right, my next one. Why is accountability a thing in regards to the young guys, but not the vets? Van Vliet took a ton of dumb shots in the Nets loss the other night. Jay Sean and Dylan commit a ton of needless dumb fouls. You know, it's not that I hate these guys, but Udoka needs to get in their face and get pissed too. I mean, Cooper, if you don't have equal accountability for the vets, the kids lose respect.
2: I really agree with that one. It reminds like when Udoka got all up in Amen's face for like some tiny little mistake. And it's like Dylan Brooks does this six times a game. What are we what are we losing our minds at over here? And I, I understand where he's coming from. Uh, another gripe, I well, it's kind of the inverse of that one. No, no defensive creativity, it's just like such strict limiting roles offensively from Yudoka. Fred Van Vliet cannot be an off-ball shooter. Every single time he touches the ball, he's running a pick and roll from 30 feet, and that is the only thing that's happening. He is making a nice dump off to Shengun, or he's shooting the ball like from deep three-point range. There is no diversity of offense. There is no creativity there. Everybody has a specific, clearly defined role, and that is all that they do. And it leads to a lot of offensive stagnation, and we're not getting a lot of data points on what some of these younger guys can really do. And I, I think part of that is to really establish like this is a system, and this is we're we're setting up stability. But I think you lose a lot of effectiveness by being too set and too, you know, just solid in the way that you're doing things, and not allowing more creativity and uh, just trying and experimenting more, especially with the really diverse offensive weapons that are on this team.
1: All right, my next one. How about when you win a challenge more than once a month? Uh, that, <laughs> how about just win a challenge twice a month, I mean, Coop, even when he wins them, they're not necessarily smart challenges. Uh, I just, ah, it drives you up the wall. Like how hard is this?
2: Yeah. The, oh, bugs me to no end. My last one is gotta be just the minutes to how we divide up the minutes every night, especially with a, like Amin and Cam now who have played every, every single minute that Amen and Cam play is a good minute. It doesn't matter. Like Cam could be three for 10 with eight points. Every single minute he plays is a high energy, good minute that is better spent than like giving it to Reggie Bullock or anything else. Or like, why are we playing Amen 15 minutes in like a game where Fred Van Vliet is playing 40? Fred does not need this, all this wear and tear. And you have one of the greatest athletes on the entire planet, riding the pine, not helping his minutes load at all. It it bugs me.
1: You just said what I was about to say. Quit playing Van Vliet like it's the playoffs every day. <laughs> I mean, Udoka wants the playoffs, but he's run Van Vliet into the ground. You're not going to the playoffs. As Van Vliet's in a wheelchair. In in March and April, he's a small, unathletic player with an injury history. There's a reason his shot's slumping and his defense looks worse as the season's gone along, especially the last couple of weeks. And I noticed everybody who had their Van Vliet narratives after he was signed in free agencies piling on now, they've all forgotten he was winning them games earlier in the year. He helped turn Mm -hmm. Shangoon into an all-star contender. Shangoon raves about him. I say, get off Fred's back, the guy that also helped you beat the Nuggets three times, and blame Udoka for his poor play.
2: I just think back to the Pelicans game, and I think it was the in-season tournament game where he down the stretch just took over and ended that game. He just hasn't done that. And it's, he just looks tired. Obviously, I don't want Fred getting into the lane all the time because he's one of the worst finishers in the NBA, but he's not as aggressive as he was to start the season. Uh, And it's really obvious that he just kind of looks worn out. When you have a guy like Amen who can handle a heavy load like that, why are you not making this easier on everybody?
1: Yeah, it, it, it goes back to also one of my gripes that I've mentioned this, I don't know how many times in the last few weeks, but Playing a vet that's bad is not, and doing bad things is not, well, he's a vet and whatever. If, if the vet's doing not good stuff out on the floor, if he's not doing helpful things, you can say all you want to, well, Tate knows where, knows where to be on the court. Landell knows where to be on the court. They can know where to be, but if they're not defending anybody, if they're not making baskets, if they can't make baskets, which neither guy seems to be able to make a basket unless it's a wide open layup. Tate sometimes contested shots are on the rim, but mostly... That's why you're getting from those two guys. And it's not just that I, I don't like the guys as you know future players. It's they're not helping you right now. And they're not doing like you can get mad at a young guy for making a mistake. But the fact is that Ahmed and Cam, when they make mistakes, they're gonna make one or two mistakes. Tar Eason makes mistakes. But guess what? If you're making more plays, then you're making mistakes. I still think that's a good thing, as opposed to having these vets out there that can't make plays. If Reggie Bullock, outside of hitting a wide open shot, what does he do? What does he do? What is there a you know a, an incredible offensive play that Reggie Bullock's doing? Is there a steal? Is there a blocked shot? You get that stuff from Cam and Amen and Jabari and Tari. You don't get it from those two guys.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Is like I think as fans and, and as coaches, people can get stuck on, oh, he made all these mistakes, he did all this stuff. But if you add more than you take away every single time you step on the floor, like the four guys you mentioned have over the last few months and when they've played in, in, in Tari's case, that is far more valuable than a guy who is basically just a placeholder, right? Like is like a below average rotation player who won't mess up, but also doesn't give you any juice. And this team yeah. desperately needs juice more than anything. We don't need placeholders.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. And I, it's just the whole deal is I think he's gotten caught up in I'm going to get these guys to the playoffs. And that means playing veteran guys, but at some point, you got to go. The veteran guys can't get you to the playoffs. The young guys have a better chance of actually doing it if you develop them and getting them, getting them going on the right track. And I know it doesn't happen very often, but they've got some really talented young guys, as talented as any in the league. And, but um, a little quick message to our YouTube viewers. What are your Udoka guys? What, do you, what don't you like? Jump in the comments. Also, if you love Rockets history, just go to my Rockets history YouTube playlist where you'll find the best of my chats with Calvin Murphy, Moochie Norris, Robert Reed, Chucky Brown. Rodney McRae, just a sample here from the playlist. Here's a longtime Rocket Studios and sideline reporter, Lisa Malosky, talked to her a few years ago about her time with the Rockets, and I asked her for her favorite Charles Barkley memory. You got to listen to this story.
0: The charming thing about Charles is that I was pregnant with Dylan, who's now 18, my first baby. Dylan was born in December christmas eve december 24th 1999 and that year charles was playing for the playing for the rockets and and a girlfriend of mine had a shower it was a couple shower so i told a couple of the guys i told I told, you know, Hakeem, but annoying he'd never come. And I told Clyde, to, he and his wife were welcome to come. I mean, they're just friends. And I told Charles. I said, hey, we're having the shower. Who shows up? Charles Barkley. He's in a tuxedo because he'd been in another event. But he came, and he was hilarious and charming. And there were martinis flowing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that he drank anything. He may have had it before. He well, drank. there was
1: always stories with him in Houston where he'd walk into a bar and buy drinks for everybody. Yeah.
0: And do you know, he has the other thing. He came. He was charming, mixed with everybody. It was an easy crowd, good friends. Um, it was incredible. I'll show you a picture of that later. But, of course, then I had Dylan in December, and my whole family was in town. My two sisters, Linda, who he knew, and my sister Tammy, um, their husbands. And he always had a New Year's party, and he was playing for the Rockets, and so he invited all the Rockets people and the staff, and I couldn't go. Obviously, I just had Dylan, and, but he said, tell your sisters to come. And Linda and Tammy and their husbands walked in, and he they said he could not have been more charming. He walked out with bottles of Cristal Champagne, put it on the counter. I mean, he was just incredibly generous. Um, and another time after, you know, the the year after that, when I wasn't pregnant again, um, Don and I went to the New Year's party and he was, he's just wonderful. He does. He pays for everything. It's a party that no one has to pay a dime for. The champagne is rolling. There's food. There's dancing. He was just, he's very, very generous.
1: Oh man, that was just great stuff. And I mean, you just wish you were here in that Barkley era that, you know, maybe Barkley walks into a bar that you're at or something like that in, in Houston, Cooper. I mean, that would have been fun.
2: Man. My dream is to ro- run into a a Rockets player at at a bar and have them pay for my drink. The closest I've gotten is ex Rocket Isaiah Hartenstein came coming into the restaurant I work at over the summer. And I just told him how much I loved his game, how much we miss him here, and he was like, "Ah, oh, dude, I love Houston." So it was a uh, that's the closest thing I got to that, but it's it's no Charles Barkley.
1: Yeah, the best thing that happened to me is uh, I ran into Robert Ori. This was about twenty years ago, or close to twenty years ago, and got to thank him. Actually, thank him for. All those great memories and in the, in the two championships, and you know, I same, the same club that I was at where I saw Ori, I also ran into Vasily Spinoulis when he was on the Rockets <laughs> at the time, and I got uh, I got to take a picture with him. I had a, I should have pulled that up. I've got that somewhere I think, but I had a selfie with Spinoulis. Uh But yeah, th- that that sort of stuff is real fun, and it's it's, it's what's so cool, Cooper, about being in Houston is it it can feel even though it's a big city it can feel like a small town at times.
2: Yeah, incredible. Love it here.
1: So anyways, you guys, uh, you listeners, you can also find our, our Rockets YouTube playlist with separate conversations with Rudy T. Biographer and legendary Rockets beat writer, Robert Falkoff about the 86 finals team, Clutch City, Bill Fitch and Moses Malone. Falcoff, just a super good guy, and I've done a, several conversations because he was involved covering all of those guys all of that time, so it was a really fun time with the Rockets, and Cooper, um, I, I just got to you know finish up by asking you what's the latest on upside swings, what should people look for, and have you figured out who should be number one in the draft as anybody? Uh, well, everybody likes to say they have. I'm a big Ron Holland
2: guy. I know people are kind of low on him because his efficiency numbers look bad, and he turns the ball over a lot. He's absurdly young, and he has possibly the greatest motor of anybody I've ever scouted. His hustle does not stop. He is like on that Tari Eason level of motor and has the athleticism to back it up. He's ridiculous. Him and him and Alex are my one and two. I go back and forth by the day. I'll, I'll leave a little bit of of, uh, of wisdom here. Not maybe not wisdom is a bad word, but just a little something I've, I've been thinking about these classes that can get called really bad classes all the time end up being better than you'd think because it has so much depth. There are probably Probably, probably 20 to 25 guys who i would say could be a lottery level talent there were probably like 15 of those last year there's just a lot of better players that will declare for this draft with hopes of being a first round pick whereas everyone's scared off last year because it's you know it's a it's a worse or it's a better draft so it, they're more scared but the top the lack of top end talent means that the middle tier ends up being way stronger so it's a good year for us to have second round picks is that's basically what i'm saying there so uh hopefully we'll use those or at least one of them get some nice cheap talent but uh if you're looking for my stuff i've been Kind of lax, upside swings, still on break, probably coming back here in a month or so. Just check out HTX Chop Shop, Frank and everybody over there, always killing it. Uh, Lots of Rocket stuff. I've been tweeting about the Rockets, uh, been doing a lot of work with certain prospects, and next up, basketball consulting. If you want to watch some Mike jumps, Mongolian Mike, the first ever Mongolian D1 athlete. I consult for him and post his stuff, and there's a lot of other cool players that I, I do stuff like that for make highlight reels all that kind of stuff so uh yeah just follow all that and uh hopefully we'll get to talk again soon this was awesome yeah
1: the 2013 draft i remember there wasn't much at the top of that it's a bad draft mostly but in the middle round it was i think it was he was either number 15 or 14 that was Giannis. so mm-hmm. you just never know and I, I remember the videos that came out about Giannis, and e- even though it was 2013 it wasn't that long ago it seemed like there were these videos that you're like man, that looks like it could be something, but I don't know. Who's he playing against? Like, he was this mystery guy. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if there's a guy like that, that out there, maybe, you know, that's the guy we're going to be talking about in this draft because, you know, this is one of those weird, weird ones. But, man, it's always good to catch up with you, brother. Thanks a lot.
0: You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.
1: Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.